Good morning. It is good to be here. I am still wiping the tears of laughter from my eyes from our wonderful friend Fee. She's a great kid. Oh, and yet the joy of experiencing God's love, um, whether we're young or old, is a joy to be here today. I want to start by praying. So will you please join me in prayer? Holy God, we are thankful for this space to come and be in community. We are thankful for a place to bring our whole selves. We are thankful for warmth when it's cold. We are thankful for love, for friendship, for your word that speaks in and through us. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as you might remember, this passage from Luke 15 was also a passage from our summer series. And so if you were here this summer when I preached on the prodigal story, this sermon's going to sound super familiar. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But it's kind of fun to come at a, a sermon from different angles. So this summer when we were looking at this idea of shalom and peace and what that looks like within community, and now we're looking at this concept of God's love, God's love that overflows and fills us to the brim, that's extravagant, that goes beyond anything we can imagine. And in this Lenten season, we often find ourselves repentant and distant, waiting for the resurrection. And yet I think the story of the prodigal son brings us to a place of realizing that God's love is fulfilled in all space and time, not only on Easter Sunday, but we can experience it in a different, overflowing, filling way during the Lenten season. And so as we come to our story today, we recognize that there are a lot of different actors in this story. There's Jesus, who's telling the story. There are those who are listening to the story. There are the people who aren't really mentioned. They're maybe in the crowd, like the servants and those who are invited to the party and stuff like that. And then there's these two sons. There's the younger son, who we often focus on in this sermon. And there's the older son, who we also tend to focus on in the sermon. But today, as we look at the story, I want to look at the father. Because he is actually the focal point of the story. It is about the father. So the story starts out, there was a man who had two sons. So immediately we know that there is a man that this story is going to be about, and he has two sons. And there's a lot of things that we learn about this man throughout the story. The first one is, is we learn that the father is the one who gives. In verse 12, it says, the younger son came to the father and said, Father, give me the share of property that will belong to me. So the father divided his property between them. He gave generously. 
Normally, this would only happen once the father had died. And yet, in his generous giving, the father divides his property between his sons. He gives them their inheritance early, and he gives generously. He gives half of what he has to one and half of what he has to the other, meaning he has none anymore to himself. The father is the one who gives. His son goes off and squanders and eats with the pigs and takes care of the pigs and parties his life away and makes a lot of decisions that a lot of us would roll our eyes at, groan, and be like, ugh, he's doing it again. He's going back out. And yet, the father is the one who waits. In verse 20, the son sets off back for home with this grand plan to come and apologize. And it says that, While he was still far off, while the son was still far off, the father saw him. The only way the father could have seen his son is if the father was waiting for him. If the father had been out in the field working, if the father had been in the kitchen cooking, if the father had been fixing a fence, he wouldn't have seen his son coming. But the father was patiently sitting on the porch in his rocker, drinking his iced tea, waiting for his son. The father is the one who waits. And when he sees his son, he ran. He ran down the lane, through the dust, to his son. The father is the one who runs. He sees, he runs, and he welcomes. The father wraps his son in his arms, put his arms around him, and kissed him. Fully embraced, fully welcomes. The father is the one who welcomes. And as he grabs his arms around him and he kisses him, he then reconciles his son back into relationship with the community. He says in verse 22, quickly bring out the robes, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. The father is the one who reconciles who brings back into community. He brings the community together and he says, this man who we thought was dead is alive again and he is back in the fold. He is with us and we are for him because the father is the one who reconciles. And after he reconciles, they begin to celebrate because the father is the one who celebrates. The father is the one who rejoices when a lost has come home, who celebrates when those who have wandered return. With those who have excuses can hear grace. The father celebrates. And yet it doesn't end there because the father is also the one who follows after. This big party is happening. Older brother comes in from the field. He says, yo, what's up? How's this going on? I don't get it. 
And the slave tells the brother, well, your brother came home, and he's reconciled back into community, and we're celebrating. And what does the older brother do? Right? It's not fair. It's not how it's supposed to be. And dad, inside, could have been like, see ya. But the father follows after. The father is the one who goes outside. The father is the one who runs. The father is the one who follows. Verse 28, when the older son became angry and refused to go in, his father came out and he began to plead with him. The father is the one who pleads, who begs to come back into community, who begs the older son to welcome, to love, to reconcile, to run to his brother, to embrace his brother. Because ultimately, the father is the one who loves. In verse 31, it says, And the father said to the older son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, and he has been found. I love you, son, and everything I have is yours. But oh, how I love your brother, too, for he was lost, and he is found. The father is the one who loves. Brothers and sisters, this father that Jesus is talking about is a representation of the God who created us, the God who loves us, the God who redeems and restores and reconciles us, no matter where we've been, where we're going, or what we do. Whether we are coming back from a long ways away, or we have always been there, this is the God who loves us. This is the God who loves those we deem the other, the them, that person, the God who loves those that we have put outside lovable, the God who gives generously, who waits for us and for all, who runs when he sees us coming, when he sees them coming a long way off. The God who welcomes and restores back into community through reconciliation. Who celebrates when the lost has been found. Who follows after when those of us in the church get a little ticked off and walk out the door. Who pleads for us to come back in and welcome the ones who have gone astray. To be in community of love to be in a community of reconciliation, to be in a community of grace. And this is hard. Because if we've grown up in the church, we don't often think of needing to accept God's love anew every day or bringing ourselves back into the fold. Because we're here. We're present. We're here on a Sunday morning we go to Bible study, we serve at a backpack program, or at a food bank, 
We watch our grandkids. We're nice to our friends. But the reality is, we become the older brother very quickly. We create lines. We create walls. We create barriers that say, that person left. That person went too far. There's no way they can come back. God can't possibly totally forgive them, or if he did, I can't. But when we create lines, when we create boundaries of who's in and who's out, of who's loved and who's not, of who's forgivable and who's unforgivable, we are cutting ourselves off from the love of God that wants to fill us and pour out of us so that all creation may know the joy of Jesus. God pleads today. Hear the words that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is, those of us sitting in this space, those of us who know the Lord, those of us outside of community who are hungry and hurting and wanting back in. God is running toward us. Are we willing to open? The other day I was taking Jackson on a walk. Most of you know I have a giant black lab. He weighs about as much as I do. And we try not to do leash walks very often because he weighs about as much as I do. And so I was out on a leash walk with him, and he was doing a pretty good job, but we got to Miller Park in Bloomington, and there was a giant tree, and there was a squirrel. And this dog is the most play-motivated dog in the world. I got him to sit. He's like twitching. There's a squirrel. I want to go play. I want to go play, Mom. And I, and I had treats in my pocket because, again, we don't leash walk very often. And so, you know, I need to. And he is dead focused, dead focused on the squirrel. And I pull out a treat, and I say, Jackson, with me, nothing. I move it a little closer to him. Jackson, with me, nothing literally have it touching his nose and he is still dead focused on the squirrel. Finally, I walk over to the tree. I let him jump up. There's, the squirrel's long gone by this point. But his focus, his intention, his desire to go after the thing that he is so motivated to get to reminded me of God's Nothing, not even the thing that he loves more than almost anything else, treats, could distract him from his main focus, playing with a squirrel. God's love is like Jackson and squirrels. God is so focused on the beauty the wonder, the delight that he has made each and every one of us. That those distractions, those ways that we have 
fallen short, those places of sin, those places of unforgivableness, don't even distract him from looking straight into our eyes and saying, I love you, I love you. And I want you to know that and live that and be in community with those who know that and live that. This story of the prodigal is so easy to get stuck on the, well, the older brother or the younger brother. And we lose the reality that God is the center. He is the one who loves us more than we could ever imagine, who follows after and celebrates when we come home. There's some good arguments of, well, you know, people who have fallen short, they come in, we celebrate, and then they leave again. But here's the reality. When God's love grips your heart, no matter where you've been, it changes everything. If you don't know my story and you want to know more about me and the way that God's love has changed my heart, and some of the stupid stuff that I've done in life, but God has changed that and made it possible for me to actually believe this as I say it, and not just for you, but for me, let's go get pie at Busy Corner. Because brothers and sisters, God redeems, and God restores, and when we truly encounter this love, this embrace, everything changes. And I pray that it can change whether it's small or big, in each of our lives today. For ultimately, the question is, how will we respond? How will we respond to God's love? Will we accept it for ourselves, but build walls to keep others out? Or will we rejoice and celebrate and come into the party, knowing that God's love transforms and changes and creates anew? Thanks be to God for that. Amen.